here and today we're going to continue with our wellness wednesday series and the topic for today so we have different themes for wellness wednesday so we have eat well sleep well move well and think well so today i wanted to do a think well episode with dr robert pulliam hello introduce yourself uh my name is robert pulliam i'm uh psychiatrist and a family doctor. I work uh, here in Cincinnati, um, essentially the same place that I work with uh, Dr. Shomo, um, yep. just in a different division. Yep. And I've been doing this for 15 years. No, oh, you guys 10, in 11, 11 years. Yes. Right. Dr. Pulliam and I are married, so that's why I knew. <laughs> Wait, you graduated. So he's been on the show before. So if you've never watched the show before, it's always a special treat to have the two of us together. Oh, That's is not... it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. The feedback I get from my friends because they're like, I've never heard Robert say that amount of words before. Okay. <laughs> so everybody's always intrigued about what you have to say. Not much of a talker. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. All right, but I can bring I can bring out the talking out of you. Okay. <laughs> you say so. so I'm gonna interview the interview today about so the biggest thing for me about you know thinking well is just about like doing some mindset coaching for our patients we do this of course uh for mental health and for physical health um different you know it's a little bit different conversations but it's kind of the same thing of just trying to get people's mind in the game um to be able to you know be able to win you know whichever kind of health challenge that they're experiencing uh, whether it's mental health challenges or um, physical health challenges, but you can't address your physical health without the mental health aspect. So um, being able to think well is really important, like I said, for mind and body. So I wanted to talk to you first about, you know, how do you get people to work on their mindset when you are working with your anxiety, depression patients? Um, you said you work with a lot of anxiety, depression patients in outpatient psychiatry. Um, and I do as well in outpatient family medicine. So what kind of advice do you give to your patients? Give me three tips that you would tell people about how to work on their mindset. Um, so, I mean, I do want to preface it with the caveat of like, this is, you know, when people come to me and they're having issues with like depression and anxiety. So this is not necessarily like healthy living, but I think it still applies to anybody who's, um, whether you have severe depression, anxiety or not. Right. So, but I think the biggest things for me are, um so number one is sleep so i think a lot of people um don't recognize that sleep how important it is for both physical and mental health mm -hmm. and no matter how much work you put into like feeling better or getting help with your anxiety or taking your medications you're not going to feel better if you're not sleeping right so everybody most people need to get at least seven hours of sleep um, at night. Some people can get by with less. Some people, you know, obviously need a little bit more, but, you know, the average person needs at least seven a night. So if you're trying to skate by with five, five and a half, even six hours, a lot of times that's not enough. Um, and that might mean you may even have to consider using a medication to help you sleep. Also, it's not unusual, especially as we get older, that some people need to use a medication that helps them go to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also 
therapy um, that can help with sleep. So that's the big thing is like get sleep. Right. Yeah. So I did an episode with Dr. Manny, who's also a psychiatrist about sleep. And he talked a lot about like hypnosis. And I talked a lot about how acupuncture helps me sleep. So there's a lot of different ways that you can work on it. And I talk to people all the time about like physical activity and just all types of stuff you can do to contribute to getting to sleep. So if you want to hear more about that, then you can check out the episode uh, with Dr. Manny and I called Sleep Well. It's the, you know, instead of think well on the sleep well side. But yeah, exactly. It's hard for your brain to think well if you're not sleeping well. Right. And that's sleep is that's where your brain heals, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever... When you're recovering from the day, whenever you learn something new, all of that happens during your sleep. And so that's why sleep is important for a lot of us. It helps reset your brain. It helps reinforce new things that you may have learned during the day. Um, and your brain just needs it. Basically, exercising your brain without exercising your body if you're, you know, when you start dreaming and stuff at night. So, mm -hmm. yeah. all right. So, so number two, I think the big thing, I, I would probably call it mindfulness just for as a in terms of like a buzzword um and the reason i say that is just because i when i talk to my patients about mindfulness you know it's not anything mystical or any voodoo but it's like paying attention to what your body is saying or what your brain is saying what your emotions are saying and so i try to get people into the habit of at least trying to document their emotions from a day-to-day -day basis like how they feel their energy level um in like a journal um or you can download like really rudimentary um mood diaries that you can get from you know you just google mood diary and it'll give you a, a big range of um, different ways to document that kind of history but it's basically just a teaching yourself how to um listen to your body and your brain mm -hmm. um and trying to figure and then that way you can look if you document if you write it down you get a chance to like look back and see what the patterns are. Like, why did I feel so crappy and have so much decreased energy on this day versus this other day? Um, and it's getting in. The, and I think that's useful to get in the habit of doing that for your physical health as well. Um, but specifically for depression, and anxiety, it's a really good idea to document like how you feel on a day to day basis. So but it's just paying attention to your right. body. So that's just a level of awareness. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. Like when you say mindfulness, what you're really talking about is having awareness because mm -hmm. we just move so through life so much on autopilot you know you wake up you go to work you come home you eat you go to sleep um so it's just about trying to like kind of press the pause button on the autopilot and really be mindful and aware of just a lot of that like just routine things so i shared recently about um four things that i'll do a lot of like uh, self-check-ins every day mm -hmm. and so First one I do is um, when I wake up in the morning and I'm like, you know, making coffee or making tea, just kind of like, what kind of mood am I in today? Do I feel anxious about anything? That sort of thing. And just trying to feel, figure out if there is something there and then trying to figure out like, why do I feel anxious? How can I troubleshoot that so I can have a good day? Um, so it's just kind of like, it's like, it takes practice. Like if you've never really done it, then me saying that, you know, um, it's kind of like probably a foreign concept. But what's the more that you do it, the more that you just try to like check in with yourself as far as like, how is my day going to go? Or how do I think it's going to go? And what can I do? Like I remember um, once, because sometimes I have to give presentations um, in front of big crowds of people. And so I remember one time I was feeling very anxious about, you know, what kind of feedback I was going to get. And I did some affirmations to be like, it's going to be amazing. And you're going to like, everybody's going to love it. You're going to get a standing ovation which I did not, but, but just kind of pumping yourself up 
to like try to figure out how you can um, let go of some of that anxiety and just build up your confidence or whatever it is that you need. So if you have to, you have to know how you feel and check in with yourself about how you feel in order to like troubleshoot, like how can I feel yeah. better? I, agree. I think, and it's actually not an easy skill. Like a lot of people don't even have, it's hard for people even just to recognize, like I'm in a really bad mood right now. Right. Like just saying that to yourself is difficult for some people. Like some right. people, they just let the irritability and the bad moodiness like take over without like taking a step back and being like, wow, I'm in a really bad mood. Right. I need to figure out why that is. Yeah. Um, and so even if you're not, you know, writing it down in a journal or a mood diary, just having the the insight to be like, I feel angry right now and I don't know why. I probably should figure that out right. before I snap at somebody that I care about or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so in my, in my coping toolkits, I talk about like different, what I like, and I think in, in the society here where I write, I talk about just different things I do when I am in a certain mood. Like if I am sad, I may watch like a comedy um, show or um just like different coping skills for different moods as well is a concept so like a lot of times I just I choose music in the morning depending on what kind of mood I'm in and so that kind of like helps to acknowledge whatever and like validate whatever kind of feeling I'm in I'm like I'm in a sad mood today let me listen to you know some Solange um a seat at the table you know so just kind of recognizing that and then like just kind of sitting in it like yeah I'm sad today and I'm just gonna exist today and try to do as what as, as much as I can do but I'm just not going to try to take on more things than I can handle just so that kind of helps me be able to set more boundaries with work because you know the kind of work that we do yeah you know you have to sometimes recognize the kind of mood you're in and what kind of boundaries you need to set to not feel worse you know yep <laughs> all right so what's your last tip so you so the number three one that I but I probably say to most people most of the time is faking it till you make it. So fake it till you make it. And what I mean by that is um, oftentimes when people are depressed or anxious, um, you get in this habit of not wanting to do stuff, even stuff that you used to like to do. You know, like if you're into sports or playing sports, or whatever, you start not doing, you know, whatever, playing basketball or, you know, throwing a you know football around or whatever because depression makes you do that. It makes you do less stuff. It's trying to keep you from enjoying yourself, going outside and socializing with other people. And so a lot of times, especially when you're struggling with anxiety and depression initially, is you have to force yourself to do a lot of things, even though you don't feel like doing it, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of like, I like to tell some people a lot of times, it's almost like being an adult, right? Like a lot of times to be an adult, you got to do things you don't like to do, right? You got to wash the dishes, take out the trash, clean the house, right? Clean the toilet. Right. Like sometimes you got to, you're just forced to do things you don't want to do, but you have to do them. Well, the it, same thing happens with depression, anxiety, and just maintaining a good mental well-being is sometimes you have to do things to keep your uh, brain healthy that you may not feel like doing at the time. Right. And so it's, it's a, it's a sort of a, it's a form of biofeedback is what we think. And when it comes to like cognitive behavioral therapy, like do what we call it behavioral activation. And so it's basically doing those behaviors that you enjoyed. And hopefully that feeds back on your brain to be like, oh, this was stuff I used to like to do. Let me start sending some, you know, good neurotransmitters, the happy hormones to make myself feel better. Um, and that's sort of, you know, that's one of the pieces that we use in a lot of therapy to help people feel better. Yeah. So for that one, for me, like when I have, when I feel like, 
for me, one of the biggest things I do when I'm just kind of like, all right, I, I really want to get back into a better place with my mood or with my health or whatever. A lot of times I'll sign up for a race because for me, having like some level of accountability helps me kind of fake it till I make it. Um, and just trying new things. Like this past time that I marathon trained, I actually did boxing. And so I've never done boxing before. And so it was a way to kind of make it not so monotonous, like running, 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 like I've run so many races, but it's when you can add something new into it, it can, you know, add a level of excitement, I feel like in your brain as well. So, you know, you may even try something new. Like I was, I just, I started on Michelle Obama's book and she talked about how she was feeling very anxious during a pandemic and she started knitting because she needed something to do with her hands. And people will say that. So like it's coping skills, you know, it's really a lot of coping skills as far as how to trick your brain into, you know, feeling, feeling better. And so, or just like I said, or recognizing just how you feel and creating space for that as well. So no, I think that's a good point though. Like definitely learning something new is a good way to break yourself out of a rut. Cause a lot of times the novelty of something new that sort of gets people excited. It gives you a rush of dopamine when you like learn something and you accomplish something new that you've never done before. So I definitely think that's a good piece of advice for the faking it till you make it kind of thing is, you know. I think one of the new things I did last year was I started learning, I started to teach myself how to paint, right? And I met, put all these paintings on the wall that you don't like so much because it's all over the place, but. I don't like a lot of chaos. <laughs> this just looks very chaotic, but that's okay. I understand it was helping. But I haven't painted in a while though. So yeah, I haven't had any new ones. Yeah. So it's just, but no, but I, I love, you know, seeing you coming home and seeing you painting and trying to deal with because it's just been a rough time with the pandemic and just so much going on and just, you know, a lot of people have been trying to learn new skills and, you know, sometimes you're not good at different skills and that's fine. And you just try something else. Like I say that life is one, one big adventure and not everybody's good at different things or, you you know, for me learning a new skill, I want to, I want to build confidence in it. I want to feel confident. Like I tried painting one time and I was not very good at it. So it didn't really enforce that dopamine of like, Oh, yeah. you're good at this. Keep doing that. So I'm actually pretty good at boxing because my dad used to box. So a lot of people don't know, like that's part of why probably I'm sure part, part of why I'm so into fitness is because my dad like played, um, went to college. He played football and basketball his whole life. And my mom on her side, like a bunch of people in my family swim, like a, lot, a bunch of my uncles were in the Navy. Um, so I just have like athletic genes on both sides. So I love working out, but I never tried boxing, boxing. I've done kickboxing before. And so yeah. I, like my trainer would just be like oh my god like you are so good like you pick up really well and so like having somebody like encourage you because I went to a couple of classes and it was very overwhelming to be with a bunch of people trying to learn boxing and it was just loud and kind of crazy so I was like I think I should try this in a small group like you know training setting so working with the trainer was actually has been really good for me to increase my confidence because he's just like oh my god you're doing so great and I don't know if he said that to everybody but but I mean, I've shown, I've, I've sent like, you know, videos to my dad um, just to, and, it, and that's kind of one of the things too. Like, you're like, oh, let me send it to my dad. Because um, my dad's actually been going through kind of a rough time. So sending him something that, you know, he can be like, oh, you're doing really good. Let me give you some pointers. Um, so it's just kind of those kind of things that help connect with different people and build confidence and build conversations that are different from like distractions from different problems. So yeah, there's a lot of things you can do to try to make your, mental health better and I've talked on my um, other podcast about all types of stuff about like avoiding social media if it's causing you issues avoiding certain people setting boundaries around that um, there's a lot of boundaries that need to be set and I talked to a lot of my patients about setting boundaries around different things as well 
because that obviously will play into your depression anxiety if you're I don't know there's a lot of people pleasing that happens um at different stages of people's lives and people just have to learn how to have confidence to say no to a lot of things um so I'll talk about that like I said in a lot of the other episodes I'll check those out if you're interested in specific um specific boundaries to set and work with a therapist as well therapists are really great at that like the um CBT as far as helping you figure out like hey that person maybe sounds like you shouldn't be around them or maybe you need to advocate for yourself a little bit more like coaching the mindset of course is um, always good to have a coach who can talk with you usually people go to therapy once a week sometimes twice a week to just kind of work on different aspects of their um of their mental health and their mindset so yep yep <laughs> so let's move into um talking about your mindset as far as trying to make physical health changes. Um, so being that you are double boarded in family medicine and psychiatry, um, I'm sure that you kind of like switch switch modes often when you are talking about these different things in your office. Cause you actually, like I know because we're married, that you have dedicated psychiatry outpatient hours and dedicated family medicine um, hours. So when you're in your family medicine you know, block of time, um, what kind of things do you help people with as far as their mindset goes? with physical health um so i i guess maybe the best way uh, you know unfortunately for the way i look at it is like a lot of people come to me when they want to fix things like mm -hmm. fixing you know so they're either they have issues with their health their weight their depression anxiety so like you know these are i guess the top three things for me is like how to approach like changing something um as i guess is the way i would look at it but so anyway, um, one of the things I struggle with with a lot of people, but I feel like is a very important part of sort of improving yourself or improving your health is sort of knowing where you're starting from. Um, and usually with physically, you know, that can be a number of ways. Uh, probably the easiest one I can think of is like, for example, if someone comes to me and they like want to lose weight or they want to be more physically fit, I usually try to encourage them. Well, let's figure out where we're starting from. Let's write some stuff down, like. What's your diet like? How much do you weigh? You know, how often are you exercising? And let's put all that stuff down and see where we're starting from. Right. A lot of times people don't realize how far they've gone in terms of straying away from, you know, the healthy habits they had before. Um, and a lot of times it's not unusual for people to come to the office and be surprised like how much they weigh now. It's not unusual for people to not recognize like how often they're actually overeating calories because they're not keeping track of calories even either in their head or, you know, writing them down. So one of the things I struggle with is just getting people to start from that point is like get an idea of where we're coming from or where we're starting from. It's just, I mean, what's hard about a lot of things with physical health and with mental health is that there's just a lot of denial about, yeah. um, about a lot of things. And so like, and writing that stuff on down on paper, that's going to, you know, it's going to clear up the delusional status of, <laughs> Like having that stuff written down is like, oh, this is where I'm starting from. I'm, I got some work to do. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. That's what I say. I, I call it a delusional bubble. I say people live in these little delusional bubbles. They float around, and you know, and you try to like send messages into them because it's just part. Of, I feel like it's just part of survival. Like a lot of times, people get into survival mode and they don't really want like a lot of that kind of negativity. But it's just like for us, we understand that that is not helpful for your survival. Like, so sometimes the ways that people learn how to survive are actually hurting their survival. Yeah. You have to kind of relearn um, survival tips because most people who live to be, you know, 
over 100 and healthy and thriving um, are people who are very aware of all types of things and just, you know, not that they don't ever enjoy life, yeah. but but they have awareness of and balance of like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to enjoy, I'm going to indulge for the festival or for um, different things, but I know that I need to eat vegetables because vegetables are good for you. You know, like I often just find it interesting the number of people who just don't eat vegetables, even though they know that you're supposed to do that, you know, like how many days a week do you eat vegetables? And so like that kind of thing, like that level of awareness of, oh, I guess I don't eat vegetables very much and maybe I should work on that. So that's one of the like more simple things you can tell people to like start eating more vegetables, start exercising more because that is kind of like your second. Well, yeah, that's my second. But I would, the only problem with that is that I would make it more specific. So my second point is like make small changes. Um, You know, so a lot of people, they get caught up with the idea that I need to lose like 50 pounds, right? The problem with that is like, okay, you need to lose 15 pounds in what, a year, two years, in a month? Like what, you know, what are we talking about here? So, and a lot of times people just see the big goal, but they don't break up, you know, sort of those little steps it takes to get to that big goal. And so you could say, yeah, eat more vegetables. I would I would go a little bit further and be a little, even more specific. Like I'm going to eat a serving of vegetables at each meal from now on, right? And so it, it doesn't matter what vegetable is something, even if it's something, it's the same vegetable because I like it, I'm going to add that vegetable to each meal, right? And that actually is an important thing because a lot of people don't realize the reason you eat vegetables is because it takes up space in your stomach, but it doesn't give you a bunch of calories, right? It's, it's um you know, what we call a green food, even though it's green in terms of it's good to go, right? You can eat as much vegetables as you want because the amount of space it takes up is a lot more compared to the calories that they have. But, but that's as an example, another example is, you know, instead of, you know, I'm going to lose 20 pounds in six months, like that's a good overarching goal. That's a good big goal to have, Mm -hmm. but, you know, picking those little steps along the way. So another example would be like, I'm going to walk 8,000 steps every day, right? So you get like your little monitor and you like make sure that no matter what, you're going to get at least your 8,000 steps every day. Um, And then once you achieve a certain goal, then set the next goal. Like what's the next step? And then the next step. And then that's how you, that's how you get to the big goal is you keep adding little steps along the way until you get to where you're trying to go. Right. And that's what I've told people for a long time, because it's just really hard in America because we just are surrounded by like all types of you know, unhealthy things. And so for me at a young age, because I guess I'm sure I was an anxious teenager and was worried about developing diabetes at like 16 years old because my dad had diabetes. And most teenagers do not worry about things like that because we work with teenagers. <laughs> but, you know, part of people who become physicians is that we're very future oriented. So like, yeah. you're like, oh, I'm going to go to school for, you know, 10 years and I'm going to be a doctor someday. So that same level of like being future oriented um is what made me want to start working on my health at like 16 so like at that age I stopped drinking sweetened beverages um and so like every year I felt like every year I kind of set different goals I'm like okay this year I'm gonna work on not eating sweet sweetened beverages this year I'm gonna work on not eating a lot of you know french fries I used to love french fries I used to eat potatoes all the time so like you know when I went to college it was like I could eat potatoes morning noon and night um, so I had to like really set boundaries with potatoes and be like, all right, I'm only going to have potatoes once a day. And then, you know, that kind of turned into, I rarely ever eat potatoes now. So I tell people, you know, they could do that once a quarter, like once a month or once a quarter, have some kind of goal 
because a lot of times people just try to take on like way too much at the same time and it's and then they feel frustrated because it's hard you know and so but like if you do things kind of little by little like like for me like I said it's mostly just been like once a year I set some kind of goal not not like a new year's resolution kind of thing but I just will recognize like maybe I'm having a little bit of issues with it's like a level of awareness of um maybe I'm having a little bit of issues with potatoes and I probably shouldn't eat them three times a day so let me figure out how to set some boundaries around potatoes and that sort of thing so um but once you know for me doing that once a year starting at like 16 like I'm at the point where I eat pretty healthy, like eat a lot of vegetables, I exercise on a regular basis, um, because there's years where I focus on, you know, let me increase activity. So if you just, even if you just made, you know, three goals in a year, that could be. Yeah. I mean, even that, like the way I think about it is so that, you know, the idea is that you want a lot of the, you want to make these healthy changes and you want to turn them into habits. And the easiest way to do it is to do like one little change at a time until that change is a habit. Right. Right. And then, then, then all of a sudden you're doing that automatically and then you can move on to like the next goal. So, I I mean, yeah, if you're doing three a year, obviously if you, I don't know, I wouldn't do three at the same time because I, I'm a single mind. I'm, you know, I have like a single mind kind of focus, you know, like I have to do a single task at a time. So for me, it's easier to just like have one goal, get that in, uh, you know, replicate it over and over again until it's a habit and then move on to like the next one. Like Some people this year we want to like work on increasing activity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that ended up running a marathon <laughs> and hurting ourselves and almost dying. No. We were okay. It was just, it was, it wasn't the marathon part. It was the weather part. that was kind of crazy. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was one of our goals for this year. And so that kind of brings us to the next part of it as far as like, you know, you fall off the wagon, you get back on. Oh, so yeah, that's it. About that. Um, that um, stuff happens. Life happens. And just because you ate a thousand extra calories one day or you didn't get your eight thousand steps one day or you, you know, on a random Saturday night, you had a couple extra drinks because you were hanging out with your friends. That doesn't mean you throw the whole plan out the, out the window, right? That just means you just get back on the wagon the next day and you get back, you know, those little, those little one-time incidences are not going to be, don't really matter in the, in the long run, right? What really matters as long as you don't make those, you know, they turn into habits themselves. And so it just means get back on the wagon and yeah. um, get back on the, you know, try to do your plan, you know, get your, Try to do your goals again. Right. One of my favorite, like, little, you know, things is called uh, progress, not perfection. And so that's the thing. Like, a lot of times people will be striving for perfection in some area. And then, you know, they kind of make, they're not that they necessarily make a mistake, but they indulge. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, most people who under, like, who live for a long time understand that there are going to be times when you indulge. Like, so, like, for me, like, I know when I'm on vacation, I'm not going to eat healthy. No. I'm going to indulge and I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat, I'm going to drink whatever I want to drink. And so just having some, you know, like awareness of you, there's times when you can do that or you might want to do it, but you just try to plan for that and reset. And if it's not, if it's unplanned, like some kind of thing happens where you find yourself emotional eating or emotional drinking or anything like that, just recognizing it early and trying to like reestablish boundaries with whatever it is that you want to establish yeah. boundaries. I mean, I think even like the last couple of times, like what I had to realize is I can't, I can't do that for 
when we go on vacation, like the last couple of times we went on vacation together, like I actually kept exercising and spent some time like trying to pay attention to what I was eating because I knew it was going to get out of control quickly. So even like the last couple of times we went on vacation together, I still would run like almost every day and um, tried to watch what I eat, but not. Like, well, that's the thing. Everybody's different. So everybody has different struggles, right? So for me, I'm always hungry um, constantly. So, so it's just one of those things of like, I would eat when I go on vacation. I don't just eat like, like when we went to New Orleans last year, I didn't just sit and eat like fried food all day, every day. Like I I physically cannot even do that. So that's the other thing for me. Like I say, eat whatever I want and do whatever I want in a context of, I can't just sit and eat fried meal. (laughs) So no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But it's just hard when you're in a place like New Orleans, like everything tastes good. So you can easily eat all day. So. But I think like when we went to North, I like ran every day. I ran like three miles every day that time. So yeah, so it's just, you know, trying to figure out what works for you because that doesn't work for everybody. But right. I just know that some people have to understand that like it, there should be some balance. You know, it can't if you if you strive for perfection, like it's it's gonna be yeah. hard. Yeah. So you have to give yourself some grace and try to figure out like where that balance is for you. And for me. Like even on the weekends, like during the week, I, so that's what kind of helps me practice that for a vacation. Like during the week, like Monday through Friday, I generally eat pretty healthy. And then on the weekends, I may not eat as healthy. So, you know, practice that, like having that balance of, so then when I go on vacation, I'm eating healthy. It's not like I haven't eaten anything unhealthy in like months, you know, (laughs) because they're like, all right, for three months, I'm only going to eat the same thing over and over and over again. And then you go on vacation and you eat something different. And then it's just hard to reestablish that kind of strict routine, you know? Yeah. So, but I say like, cause I know a lot of times people talk about like diets and that sort of thing. And I think I talked about this on the last episode when we don't eat well, I'm just like, I just feel like everything, you just have to experiment with all of it. Like just try different things and just try to figure out what works for you and how to get back, how to reset when you need to reset and what, what helps you do that. Well, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to say about working on your ability to think well, work on your mindset. No, I think, I mean, I think for the most part, it's like everybody's different. And so I think there are a few things that are most of us have in common. I think a couple of things are, you know, small habit, you know, turning small things into habits so you can build to something, you know, greater in the long term instead of trying to be somebody, you know, trying to change something into something completely different in a few days is not realistic, right? Everything takes time. And the things that are worth Things that are worth getting or obtaining take some time to get them. Um, And I think for most people, if you have that kind of mindset, that kind of patience, then that um, benefits you more than getting what you want now or living the way you want the way, you know, now or whatever. Right. And that's what's often hard for us as doctors to relate to, like a lot of that instant gratification thing, because we've spent so many, so much time of our life with a lot of delayed gratification of like having to develop patience and wait a long time just in your training like to be able to do all types of stuff like buy a house and all types of stuff we have to wait for a lot of it so you develop a lot of a lot of uh, patience and resilience and so sometimes it can be hard to relate to our patients um, with that but you know it's definitely doable not everybody has that future-oriented mindset but that's why it's important to try to work on building it you know um, because it doesn't come naturally for a lot of people. No. And 
So for us and for me, like part of what I do with people is just like, just trying to do a lot of, I do a lot of kind of like grief counseling of just telling people like, you know, it's hard getting older. You just can't do the things that you could do when you were young. Because a lot of people when they were young, they could literally just eat whatever and drop like 20 pounds in a in a month, you know, yeah. um, if they wanted to. And it's just like, you know, that's just not realistic anymore. And it's definitely a lot more working on those long-term goals because, you know, trying to trying to go back in time, you know, <laughs> so like I'm 40 now and I want to go back to the days when I was 20 all that kind of stuff. Like I do a lot of grief counseling and try to help people set expectations and just be like, you know, it is what it is. Like, that's just not how life works. Um, just trying to be a lot more realistic with things. Cause I think that's just what's hard for a lot of people that they can be unrealistic at times. And so sometimes for us, we try to set, we don't want to set people up for failure because people get really frustrated when they're like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to drop 20 pounds in a month and it's not working. And it's just like, well, that's not very realistic. So part of what we do is try to help people set realistic goals. Um, and, and for me, like, I don't even, I try not to focus on people's weight. I try to like tell them just to do the things like start working on that healthy habits, because sometimes people get frustrated when they don't see that change on the scale. And so, and then they'll just give up on everything. And it's just like, don't focus so much on that. Just focus on doing the, doing the actual activities that you can check off. Like, okay, I said, I was going to increase activity. Like this week, I'm going to work on just doing once a week of movement. Next week, I'm going to try to do it twice a week and just keep building on that. And it's just like, just do the things because, you know, the way the weight works, it's just hard for, it's, it's a lot of things that go into weight um, that are not under, you know, not necessarily under people's control, but the, you can control or work on controlling some of those healthy habits. So I tell people to try to focus on those more. Yeah. No, I don't like talking. I usually don't like to talk about weight in the office. I usually do because patients want to talk right. about weight. And so I try to figure out a way to have a conversation about weight, but incorporating a lot of other healthy lifestyles into like weight management. Right. But, you know, weight is not the only thing that determines if you're healthy or not. Right. So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because a lot of times people really have like this false notion of, I have to gain, I have to lose 50 pounds so that I can have my blood pressure under control or so that I can stop taking these pills. And it's just like, you, you may or may not be able to drop 50 pounds. And even if you did, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that your blood pressure is going to go away. There's that's a lot of reasons. There's plenty of thin people who have high blood pressure. Um, so it's just one of those things. I think sometimes people, you know, especially in our, I don't know, people are just kind of superficial, you know? So people, just can be like, well, if I get rid of these extra pounds and all these other problems will go away, but it's not necessarily what happens in our bodies. Um, so we just try to explain that to people and just try to set realistic expectations because we don't want for people to just get frustrated and like stop doing all the things because you need to do those things in order to live. So yep. there was one last thing I was going to ask. About. Oh, what do you think about like medication? So as far as like, if people are having issues with their mindset, because the thing about like a lot of people with anxiety and depression, they try to, they do a lot of, you know, they work with a therapist, they work with us to work on their mindset. Um, but sometimes people will just have like a really hard time with changing their mindset. Um, and they may be interested in medications. Um, so would it just say a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, none of my tips had anything, said anything about medications. And so as a psychiatrist, that's my job is I prescribe medications for depression and anxiety. You know, I don't, I actually don't do a lot of therapy in my private practice because I don't have time and we don't get reimbursed for therapy. But um, I do think that medications can be helpful for some people. 
Um, unfortunately, it's kind of 50-50, depending on what you know you're treating in terms of depression and anxiety. And so when it when it comes to medications by themselves, now obviously if you pair medications with therapy, then the you know the the efficacy of treatment gets a lot better. But there are some people that medications aren't going to really be helpful, and there are some other people where medications are going to help. So I, I personally, I think if you want to try medications, then there are a couple of rules. One is you have to take them. So you need to take them every day for them to work. Um, if you just take them occasionally, especially when it comes to a lot of our psychiatric medications, they're not going to work. Um, so it's a daily medication. It probably helps to take it at the same time every day so you don't forget it. And you need to give it time. It's For most of our medicines, it's going to take anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks for our medications to work. Um, so you got to be realistic with yourself. If you don't like taking medications, you know, don't tell your doctor you want to start one and then just take a pill every so often. Like it, it needs to be taken every day. Um, but even if you do take medications, most of the time medications just by themselves are not going to cut it. Like that's why I always talk about those three things that we talked about at the beginning of the talk, you know, the sleeping, the document, you know, mindfulness, and then sort of, um, whatever the last one was, no, I forgot. Uh, fake it till you make it. Oh yeah, fake it. Like doing those behavioral activities to like re-engage your brain. Like you have to do those things, even if you're not doing therapy. Those are still basic things that you have to do in conjunction with the medications for the medications to start working. So, but yes, I I think medications can be effective for a lot of people. It's just a matter of you know figuring out. You know, I usually do um, shared decision making with right. patients when it comes to that. And you know, we have to it's assessing your your values and. You know, do you want to be take a medication to help with this or do you want to, you know, try a therapeutic, you know, more of a therapy approach first right? or do both at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. I just it's just one of those things that I'm like just trying different things um, to just feel better. Like more than anything, you want people, especially the mindset is just it's so important because like it's just like you, you number one, people can suicide and depression is a fatal like depression can be a fatal disease if people mm -hmm. um feel suicidal or have suicidal thoughts um and don't get help for them like it definitely can be a fatal disease so there's that aspect of why it's important to get help but then there's of course the physical aspect of if you're depressed um then you're not going to be taking care of your physical health as far as high blood pressure diabetes so that's why we do a lot of screening in our office in our in my office at least and when i work for the health department uh, of, de of depression like somebody coming in for a diabetes visit we screen them for depression because we know that your diabetes is not going to be good yeah. <laughs> if you're feeling depressed so there's a lot of research about that kind of thing and so we spend a lot of time like, just trying to do a lot of you know just quick interventions um to help people kind of reassess because there's a lot of grief too like people grieve that you know like i have a patient right now who are, her husband died and you know and her diabetes is not doing well because she's depressed because her husband died so people you know, so we, we try to just work with people like people have as family doctors. That's one of my favorite things about being a family doctor is you get to try to help people get through hard times in their lives, you know, and you get to see them on the other side of that feel a lot better. Like recently, I have a lot of patients who came back to me last week. I had a couple of my patients who were struck, who've been struggling with depression and they were like, I'm really happy that you had that conversation with me and I'm feeling a lot better now. And I'm feeling a lot more hopeful because that's the biggest thing. Like, a lot of people who are depressed don't feel hopeful. If you don't feel hopeful, then why would you take your diabetes medicine if you don't think you're going to make it to the future, you know? Yeah. So we um we do a lot of work um, with it, and it's, but it's a really important topic because May is 
Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, and so you we definitely want there to be less stigma about it, about doing a lot of the behavioral things we talked about. And also if people need medicine and if they work for them, you know, trying to work on decreasing that stigma. Um, and one of the things that's interesting about that too is like trying to learn your family history. Like sometimes people, um, people, so like medications, there's a lot of different medications. And, but if somebody in the family like tries different medicines and then they find one that works, some, a lot of times that may work for other people in the family. So even just like having conversations about, you know, different people in your family, what kind of struggles they may, may be going through and having that be like a topic of discussion in the family so that people can help each other. Um, yeah. Cause I feel like I've learned a lot about like boundaries and all types of stuff. Cause I have a lot of older sisters, you know? And so there's sometimes when I'm, you know, because of what I do, I may be helping them, but sometimes because they, they're just older than me, <laughs> you know, they've had a lot more life experience that they will, um, you know, give me advice. And that's the other big thing I love about being a geriatrician is that you just see people, you just see what it takes. Like I get to see people at 70, 80, 90 years old and just see a lot of the different things that they had to do to, to make it there. Um, and a lot of it is just setting boundaries. They're like, I couldn't worry about everybody else. And I had to take care of my health. I had to make sure I exercise. I had to make sure I eat vegetables. Um, all that. I had to make sure I take my medications, you know? Because <laughs> that's the interesting thing that people, people have high blood pressure diabetes and they're like, I don't want to take this medicine. Like I said, it's a level of denial. Um, but it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing to troubleshoot because then they come in and see you often. <laughs> Yeah. you're not doing the things I asked you to do why do you keep coming back every every month yep. <laughs> so you know people are interesting and that's what's that's what's very interesting about being a family doctor and a psychiatrist is the brain is such an interesting place you know so well I will I'll, I don't know we can leave it there or do you or do you have any parting words for everybody nope no <laughs> all right I, don't, I think I've said everything well, I wanted to say so yeah, no. The last thing I said was the brain is an interesting place. Try to figure out how you can work on yours um, and get it to be working in your best interest. Um, so I hope that you all enjoyed this episode and I hope that, you know, you learned something today and you can work on getting your brain in the, in the game, thinking well, working on your mindset. And I hope that, you know, you have a great Wellness Wednesday and a great month and we will see you soon. Wellness Wednesday. Well, sleep well, <laughs> wellness, Wednesday.